Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. First, let me give you a few quick announcements. Um, We, the student ministry on this Wednesday night is going to be doing an end of the school year bash. So if you have a junior higher or high schooler here at the Broussard campus in the fields back there, we're going to have water slides, snowballs, free food, all kind of stuff. If you have a junior higher or high school, now if you're 29, do not show up. But the event is completely free. And But if you have a student that's going to be um, having coming or having fun on the water slides, they need to get a waiver. And we'll have waivers um, in the info center right there after church. Um, also, our serve days, you guys heard, is coming up. So excited about that. Make sure that you block that day off. We have some incredible projects in both the community of St. Martinville and in Bruce Art that we're going to be serving and doing this year. My wife was supposed to be here this morning, but she woke up not feeling well, and so she's she's not here today on Mother's Day, but moms, how many of you know that's mom life, those kind of things happen, and you just so graciously push through, but she was going to read something to you that would have had a much bigger impact if she read it, but I'm going to read it in her stead, and I think this will really sum up her heart and I believe the heart of our church for every, every lady in this room. So I want you to hear this. This is a poem by Amy Young. It says, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced the loss this year through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood and I'll add patience we are better for having you in our midst to those who will have emptier nests this upcoming year we grieve and rejoice with you and to those who are pregnant with new life both expected and surprising we anticipate with you this Mother's Day we walk with you mothering is not for the faint of heart And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Happy Mother's Day to you wherever you fit in God's plan for our young people. Can we celebrate all of our moms in the building this morning?
today at the end of service, if you are a mom that fits any of those categories, any of those descriptions, on the way out, we have a special gift for you as you leave today. Let's pray as we begin our message. Father, we love you. We're so grateful, God, for who you are. Thank you for your great faithfulness to us. And Lord, I ask in the next few moments as I communicate your word, as I talk about this very important question, who is Jesus? That Holy Spirit, you would glorify Jesus through me is my prayer. Speak to the hearts of your people. Draw your people today. Encourage your people today. And change perspectives today. I ask this in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, Cody. We're continuing in our series, Who is Jesus? And so far, we've established a few things in this series. We've established Jesus is God. If you have questions about that, if you've ever wondered, is Jesus really God? I encourage you, go back and listen to that message. It's online. That is what separates Christianity from every other religion of the world. It's not the, even the, the morality. It's not just the teachings. It is the fact that our king is also God, fully God. He's not a God. He is God. And so Jesus is God. We established that. We established that Jesus is fully man, right? This was a, that was a term I taught you a couple weeks ago called the hypostatic union, meaning that Jesus was fully God and fully man all at the same time. Not half God, not half man. He wasn't a mutant. He was all God, all man at the same time. We established that Jesus is not a religion. He's a king. And he's a king who came to build a kingdom. And he wants you and I to be a part of. And last week, we established the fact that Jesus is the rabbi. And that rabbi calls us not to just be a part of the crowd that hears him teach, but to be the followers, his disciples who live like he lived. We are his followers. We are his disciples. So today I want to continue answering the question, who is Jesus? But I want to ask you a personal question. Can I ask you a personal question this morning? Have you ever looked into your family history? Some mixed reactions in the crowd. If you've ever looked into your family tree, you know there are some really good things and there are some really complicated things. There are good things. There's scary stuff back there. Now's the time of year where families gather together on Mother's Day. And, and whether you're telling stories about your mom or you're gathering together with your mom and you're at brunch and you're all of those different things. And you're asking questions about her and her life. And you end up finding out things about your family that maybe you never knew before. That's what family reunions do. That's what family gatherings do. That's why some of y'all stay away from them. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. Right? We, there's things in our past that are there whether we acknowledge them or not. You know, I can, I can remember when I was dating my wife, you know, I kind of prepped her before she met my family. Some of us have those family members that need to be explained. Like, like, okay, you're coming over, 
my, you've met my mom, she's cool. Let me tell you about my uncle, have a seat. <laughs> right, if he, if he asks you to lend him money, it's just don't. <laughs> so it was a long time ago, well, I say a long time ago, a few years ago where the world kind of went crazy with these DNA tests like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. How many of you have ever done any of those? 23andMe, don't be embarrassed, you're lying. Some, I know more people in this room did those DNA tests. Raise your hand if you've done them. Okay, let me help you with something. My pastor taught me this. If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. Like, <laughs> you don't pass go, you don't collect $200, straight there. But many of us did. We've, we've done these tests, these 23andMe, and you start learning where your family came from, the origins of your family, or you start finding out people that you're related to, good, bad, and crazy. Like, and so there's these things that we've learned, and what you're learning is something called your genealogy. And I'm going to tell you more about that in a moment. But my dad is a bit of a family genealogist, if you will. He loves tracing the history of our family and going back and telling stories and all of those things. And let me tell you some of the things that I've learned about my family tree, about my family line. Now, I'm, not, I'm telling you this for a point. I'm not just telling you this so you know my family history, okay? But I'm making a point that I want you to learn. I've, I've learned that there's Native American in my family. I've learned that in my family, really both sides, but there's Native American in my family tree. I remember taking one of those DNA tests and learning that the majority of my family, probably 60-something percent of my family, came from the West Africa region. So a lot of my people originate from the West Africa region. Funny story, I was in um, Washington, D.C. about two months ago, and you take Ubers everywhere you go in, in Washington, D.C. And the Uber driver happened to be from Ethiopia. And I'm like, well, this is my moment to tell him where I'm from. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, my people are from West Africa. And well, we're striking up this conversation. And if he go, when he goes into depth about the culture, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I just know what the website told me. <laughs> I also know that on my mom's side, I'm a distant cousin of Jack Johnson. My, my mom was closer. Her mom was closer. I think her mom was like first cousins with Jack Johnson, who's the first black heavyweight champion of the world. That explained a lot of my childhood right there. <laughs> right? And so there's some really cool things that I've learned about my family tree over the years. But though I've learned some really good things, some really cool things, there's some pretty hard things in my family history and background as well. One of the things that I know is that my, on my dad's side, my family, they were slaves on a plantation in Homa. Learn that. My, my dad knows that. They even know the name of the, the, one of the men of my family that was one of the slaves in Homa, Louisiana. I know that on my dad's side, there are many, many unfaithful men. Men that were not faithful to their wives. I don't come from a long line of faithful husbands to wives. It's quite the opposite. It's a rarity when you find a man in my family who was faithful to his wife. Thank God for the breaking of curses. Thank God for that. 
As a matter of fact, the men in my family had what was called cared for men. And these cared for men were men who had multiple women who cared for them. I know that in my family tree, on both sides, mainly on my mom's side, there's a lot of drug addiction in my family. A lot of people with addictions to crack cocaine, a lot of people with addictions to alcoholism and other different things, really on both sides. But there's drug addiction in my family. I know that there's a lot of pride in my family and not the good kind, the kind that will demolish and devastate their lives unless you humble yourself. And I've watched it happen to the people in my family. Let me go further. I know that there is multiple people who live actively, and some have passed away, who live actively in homosexual lifestyles. That's in my family line. I know that there's incest in my family line. I know that there's abuse of children, both physical and, I won't say it because of mixed company, but other types of abuse in my family line of children. I know that there are lots of dark things in my past and in my, in my family line. Now, with that said, I know that even saying some of those things is uncomfortable for many of you in this room. Because some of you come from the exact same things. But it's much easier for us to look at the good things in our past and kind of ignore the bad things in our past. To go, yeah, that's part of there, but we just we put that under the rug. I don't, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with that. Right? And we somehow believe that because these things are in our family tree, our family line, that they somehow indict us into being a part of those things. These are real things that are in our family trees and our family background. Now, what's hard is I believe this. Most children, maybe not all, most children, their greatest desire is to come from a healthy, happy family. A healthy, happy home. We desire that. We crave that. As kids, we want to brag about that. How many of you remember when you were young and you would brag to your friends, my daddy can beat up your daddy? Right, we want to have something to brag about as kids, and we want to brag about our families, yet because of the things I just mentioned and just talked about, there's a lot of things in our family lines that we cannot brag about and we dare not even mention or talk about. It may seem like I'm off topic, and you may be saying, Pastor, what does this have to do with who Jesus is? I'm so glad you asked. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke, the third chapter. The book of Luke, the third chapter. And this morning, we're going to look at something that most of us skip over when we're reading the Bible. Most of us just get to this point and we kind of go, ah, let me keep going. Let me get to the good stuff. And you miss the fact that this is part of the good stuff. Let me prove my point even more. How many of you have ever said, Pastor, I've decided I'm reading the whole Bible from start to finish? How many of you have ever made that decision? What are the rest of y'all reading? <laughs> it's like 10 people. Everybody else, you're reading Reader's Digest? What are you reading? Again, lie in church. Hell. <laughs> A lot of us have. We've decided, I'm going to read the Bible from front to cover. What happens? You get to Genesis. Man, this is really interesting. You get to Exodus. Wow. 
And then what happens? When you start getting into Deuteronomy, you start getting into Leviticus, you start getting into Numbers, what happens? You stop reading. Some of you are like, I, didn't, I, just, I don't know. I don't know what that even means. And so you give up on it because we miss the fact that God is speaking even in those things. God is speaking even in those. What I want to look at this morning is the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. This is what it says. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. I'm going to stop right there. He was 30 years old, around 30 years old when he began his public ministry. He went about preaching and the gospel and speaking to people. He waited for 30 years until God released him to go and to preach the word of God and to bring the good news, to bring the gospel. And it tells us that he was known as the son of Joseph. I'm going to tell you that in a moment. But here's, here's what we're talking about, the genealogy of Jesus. I want to break that word genealogy down. Genia, meaning family, race, or generation. That's what that word means. In ology or logi, the study of. So it's the study of family or the study of generations. That's what Jesus' genealogy is. It's the study of his family, his family line. That's what the Bible is telling us in Luke chapter 3. Now, again, he was known as the son of Joseph because we know this. Jesus wasn't physically the son of Joseph. Why? Because of the virgin birth. He was born through the Holy Spirit. Mary miraculously conceived Jesus. That's important. And I'm going to tell you more about that in a moment. Bear with me. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm, this is going to apply to you. Now, this, what we see in Luke is Mary's bloodline. This is tracing the bloodline of Mary all the way back. Now, why is that important? The Bible focuses, it tells us that Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. What it's saying is, this is really, I believe what it's saying is, this is not Joseph's bloodline, it's Mary's bloodline. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Now, if you'll notice, there's two places in the four Gospels that give us the life of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's two places that give us a genealogy. They give us a genealogy of Jesus, this family line, this history of Jesus. One is Luke, like we're going to look at, but the other one is Matthew. And if you've ever read those and, and put them together, you've noticed these don't all have the same names, so did they make a mistake? Does the Bible make a mistake? Not at all. Because like I just mentioned, the book of Luke is giving you Mary's bloodline, whereas the book of Matthew is giving you Joseph's bloodline. And these gospel writers, like we talked about in the first chapter, I mean, the first week of this series, these gospel writers are giving, they're speaking to different audiences and they're making different points about Jesus. These are different vantage points or perspectives and they're giving you a different, they're making a different point about this man, Jesus. Now, if you notice in the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew goes all, it traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Abraham, and it stops at Abraham. Why does it stop at Abraham? Because the point of the gospel of Matthew was that Jesus is here to fulfill all of the promises God made to the Jewish people. 
Matthew's point was Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And he was here to fulfill all of those things. And the audience he was writing to was to the Jewish people. So he went all the way back to Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish faith. That's why he went back to Abraham. But Luke went all the way back to Adam. Luke traced Jesus' genealogy from Mary all the way back to Adam. Why? Because he was talking, he was writing to the whole world, every race of people. And the point that he was making is Jesus is the perfect man. And he came to save not just the Jewish people, but all of mankind. Y'all tracking with me? So these different writers are making different points about the same man. That's why you see Mary's bloodline, Joseph's bloodline. Now, Mary's bloodline was Jesus' legitimate bloodline. This was the blood that flowed through Jesus' veins. Joseph was Jesus' legal bloodline. There were legal things that Jesus was able to be a part of and do because Joseph was legally his father. Why? I'm telling you all of this for a reason. Just track with me. There are many promises that the Bible made to us about Jesus. In order for him to really be the Messiah, there were some things that the Old Testament told us he would have to have, he would have to be in order for him to actually be what the Old Testament promised when it said the Messiah would come. Some of those those things are this. He fulfilled. He had to come from the line of David. He had to come from literally the family lineage of King David. He had to be born in Bethlehem. He was. He had to also be known as a Nazarite, a a Nazarene, excuse me, from Nazareth. And of course, he was. So there were so many promises that we see fulfilled in the story of Jesus. And this is a side note, but I believe that the very first one, the very first promise given to us about this man Jesus who would come came at the very beginning of time. When as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, I believe God gave us a promise that this man, this Messiah, this Christ would come and would rescue all of humanity. How do I know that? Let's go back to the book of Genesis for a moment. A great preacher by the name, man of, a man by the name of Skip Heisig, I heard him say this and it blew my mind when I heard it. He said that in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, Adam and Eve sinned. And God is literally disciplining Adam, he's disciplining Eve, and he's disciplining the serpent. And he says something to the serpent in this moment that was a promise that Jesus would fulfill. Let's read it. This is what it says, Genesis 3.15. And this is God talking to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Say that word with me. Her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let me ask you a question. When a child is conceived, who carries the seed? Not the woman. The man carries the seed. So wait a minute. The seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman... There's never been a woman in all of human history who was able to carry and conceive a child without the seed of a man except one woman, and her name was Mary. 
And she did not need the seed of a man to have this child because God put the seed inside of her. So from the very beginning, God makes this promise that Jesus was going to come. And he tells the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to step on the head and crush the head of the enemy, of the devil. Let's keep going. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Let's look at the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Methat. Methat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Malki. Malki was the son of Janiah. Janiah was the son of Joseph. I'm not reading all these names. I'm not going to butcher them this morning. But there are some points that I want to make. Let's skip down to verse 32. David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was the son of Obed. Obed was the son of Boaz. Boaz was the son of Salmon. Salmon was the son of Nashan. Nashan was the son of Aminadab. And Aminadab was the son of Admin. Shout out to all of the administrative people. You made it in the Bible. Admin's like, we out here. Sorry. <laughs> Admin was the son of Arnai. Arnai was the son of Hezron. Hezron was the son of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob. Listen, pay attention to this. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah was the son of Nahor. Let's skip down to verse 38. Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. So they trace Jesus' genealogy from Mary, his mother, all the way back to Adam. Pastor Gabe, what's the point? Because what I heard you say was a whole bunch of names of people that I don't know. And neither one of us are really good at pronouncing Here's the point. Each and every one of those people is more than a name. They also have a story. They also lived a full life. They also contributed something to society or took away from society. They also contributed to the family line or they took away from or damaged or contaminated the family line. Each and every one of them has a story. What am I trying to get you to see? That just like you and I, Jesus came from a line of sinful people. Jesus came from a line of sinners just like you and I did. Let me get real practical. Let me get right to the point. David, the great king of Israel. We all know and love David. David killed Goliath. Right? We all know the story. One of the greatest kings in history. Do you also know that David was an adulterer? Do you also know that in order to cover his adultery, David had the man who was married to the woman he committed adultery with murdered in order to cover his sin so that he would not be found out. And he would have gotten away from it. He would have gotten away with it, excuse me, had it not been from a prophet that God sent to him to confront him for his sin and expose his sin. How many of you know we don't get away with anything in God's sight? God exposed him. This is David, the man that the Bible tells us, the man after his own heart. He was an adulterer and a murderer. 
This is the man that the Bible says Jesus would come from his line. It was a promise he had to come from this man David's line. Let's keep going. Judah, the Bible tells us Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob. Judah contributed to putting Joseph, his brother, in the pit and selling him into slavery. Judah, one of the leaders, Jesus literally came from his line. We call him the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. Judah was guilty of sleeping with his own daughter-in-law, a woman named Tamar. This is what Judah was guilty of. His father, a man named Jacob, his name literally means trickster, liar, deceiver, and he lived that out. Jacob was a liar, a trickster, a deceiver. He spent his life deceiving and manipulating people. And this is the man that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which is where the people of Israel came from. This is who was in Jesus' family line. Now, Jacob was a liar and deceiver probably because his daddy was one. Who was his daddy? Abraham. Abraham was married to a beautiful woman named Sarah. And everywhere that Abraham would go, if a king was there or a ruler was there, they would notice how beautiful Abraham's wife was. And they would say, man, she's fine. And you know what Abraham would say? Oh, that's my sister. Conveniently leaving out the fact that that was also his wife, which is a whole other message. We can deal with that later. (laughs) But he would conveniently leave out the fact that that was also his wife. He was manipulating truth because that's what he did. Abraham was also a manipulator. His father, a man named Terah, was a pagan idol worshiper. Have you ever asked somebody to tell you you're just like your daddy? How many of you know most of the time that's not a compliment? <laughs> They're normally not saying, man, you're really kind, just like your dad. No, that you do, you're just like your daddy. You do this, you did it. Abraham had a son who was like him. He had a son who was like him. And there was a progression of sin continuing in this family line. Now, in Matthew's genealogy, again, Joseph's family line, Jesus' legal family line, they tell us a story, they mention a woman in this genealogy, a woman by the name of Rahab. Now, Rahab made it to the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, where it praises these people in the Old Testament for their great faith in God. Do you want to know what Rahab's job was? She was a prostitute. That was her literal job. She was a prostitute. Also in, Joseph, in Matthew's description of Joseph's family line was a man named Ahab. You know who Ahab was? Because we did a whole series about him. He was married to a woman named Jezebel who turned the nation of Israel into a godless, just pagan worshiping nation. She turned a nation, God's people, against God while Ahab passively took a a seat and watched it happen because he was a passive, weak, insecure man. That's who's in Jesus' family line. That's who's in Jesus' family tree. And Luke goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, 
who were the fathers, the father and mother of sin, who brought sin into the world. These were all in Jesus' bloodline. Have you ever felt like you're doomed to repeat the sins of your fathers? Have you ever felt like this is just what our family does? We do this. We think like this. We act like this. This is just who we are. I've got good news for you. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Pastor, I'm just angry because my dad was angry. I have my dad's, I have my dad's anger issue. I have my dad's temper. I'm just selfish like my mama was selfish. I, I just, I, I don't know how, I mean, I, we got married, but I knew even the moment we got married that I wasn't going to be faithful because it's just in our family line. The men in my family, we're just not faithful. The women in our family, we're just not faithful. We just, I've never really seen that happen. And so I don't think that's going to be able to happen because it's who we are. Pastor, we're just addicts. I have a family of, of addictions. It's just in our bloodstream. I've got good news for you. Jesus came from a line of sinful people. Jesus came from a line of sinners, but Jesus redeemed that line. Why? Because Jesus is the redeemer. That's who he is. He is the redeemer. Jesus took our sin and he made us new. He faced, I don't, let me make sure you know this. Jesus had the same temptations that we have. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that. Jesus was faced with temptation the same way we are. There's a difference between temptation and sin. Temptation is when the sin comes to tempt you. Sin comes when you give in to the sin. John Wesley said it the best I've ever heard it said. He said, it's not the birds that fly over the trees that get you. It's the ones that you let nest there. Temptation is not sin. Sin is sin. Let me go further. For 40 days, the Bible says, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Do the math on that one. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested by the devil for 40 days. He ate nothing, drank nothing, and was tempted by the devil with intense temptation for 40 days, yet without sin. He wasn't sinful because he had the urges. He had the same urges in his body that you do. He had the same crazy thoughts come to his mind that you do. Some of you have been born with temptations that have been with you since you were a child. And can I just tell you, you did nothing to earn those temptations. I get that. God understands that. But just because the temptations came, does not mean that's who you are. Just because the temptations came does not mean you are doomed to live by those things and to give into those things. Temptations come to all of us. All of us. But Jesus came facing those same temptations yet was without sin. He was without sin. What am I saying? It doesn't matter what your family line looks like. It doesn't matter what sins are in your past. You, if you are a believer, if you are born again, you are in Christ and you are not doomed to repeat those things. You are free in Christ. Free 
in Jesus. Some years ago, probably 13 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, something like that, I was with a man who's a spiritual father in my life, a man named Pastor Jim LaFoon. Many of you know Pastor Jim. He, he's come and preached at our churches before. He comes probably once or twice a year. And Pastor Jim oversees our, our church as an overseer, and he's a spiritual daddy to me. And he was, he was giving me a prophetic word, prophesying to me. By the way, we believe in that. We believe in prophecy. Why? Because the Bible believes in prophecy. Because the Bible tells us, go look it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 14, book, book of Romans, talks about these gifts. And he was prophesying to me, didn't know me at the time at all, but he said something to me that has never left me, and I want to tell it to you, and I want to speak it over you. He says, son, God has given you new spiritual bloodlines. God has given you new spiritual bloodlines. Those words have never left me. And today you need to know this. It doesn't matter what's in your past. Jesus has come to redeem you, and he has given you new spiritual bloodlines. If you are in Christ, you have a new daddy. You have a new father. You have a new line that you come from. You are not a slave to those things that you were once a part of. You are new in Christ. New in Christ. I want to expose the lies that you believe, that some of you have believed. Pastor, my dad was an alcoholic, so I have to be one. My mom was unfaithful, so I have to be. I'm always going to be a liar, manipulator. It's just in my family tree. It's in my family line. The men in my family are just passive. This is kind of what they do. That may be your past, but that is not your future. That is not your future. Jesus came from a line of dysfunction, but he defeated it. And he came, he came from these sinful patterns, but he defeated it. He faced temptation, but he defeated it. Why? Because Jesus is the redeemer. And I want to tell you what that word redeem means. First, let me, let me quote this to you. You need to know this, and I've quoted it many times before. 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Jesus is the redeemer. What does that word redeem mean, Pastor Gabe? It means this, to buy back, to restore to an original condition. So when I'm saying Jesus is the redeemer, this is what he's doing. He sees where you've been. He sees what you've come from. He sees what you've come out of. And he has purchased you back to your original state of righteousness before daddy. Before grandma, before great-great-grandpa, before the family line, before your father Adam. The original state as a child of God, that's who he created you to be. If all, it's, it's if all of the habits, all of the sinful patterns, I want you to get this mental picture with me. Because we live in South Louisiana and this is love bug season. So y'all will get this very well. Imagine when you're driving down the road. You're on 90, and those love bugs just start, coat your window. And you can kind of see, but you can't really see. 
When Jesus comes and redeems you, this is what he does. He wipes the window clean so that you can actually see who you really are. Not clouded by the past, not clouded by the, the mistakes from your family, not clouded from all of the things that have happened to you even as a result of those people's sinful patterns and sinful natures. Jesus comes and he buys you back. He redeems you. And he says, you are not that. You are a child of God. You're a new creation in Christ. You are what I say about you. He redeems you. And when he came, he battled all. And, and I remember for years wondering, that was so hard to understand. Why would the spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days? Like, why does the Bible make it a point to say the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted? It wasn't telling us that the spirit is there to lead us into temptation. The point of that is the Spirit led Jesus and all of the sin nature inside of him through his bloodline to the wilderness for Jesus to defeat it so that we could be free from it. That's why God led Jesus into the wilderness, to defeat the things that have been defeating you, to defeat the things that have been lying to you, telling you this is who you are, this is the way you always will be, this is the issue, this is how your family is, this is just you. Jesus says, no, no, no. I defeated it and on the, on the cross, when I died, I paid for it. And when I rose again from the dead, I redeemed you. I bought you back. And I want to end this morning by reading this scripture. This is what the Bible says about you in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba or Daddy, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Church, can I just tell you this is who you are? This is who you really are, a child of God an heir with Christ, co-heir with Christ, redeemed, bought back, a new creation. But pastor, I feel this and I have this and I sense this from time to time and since I was little and I don't know. And I, this is who you really are. Let him wipe the window clean. You are his child. He's redeemed you. When everybody in this place to close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to pray for you this morning as we close. You're a new creation. If you're here this morning, you may be wondering, Pastor, when does this happen? Let me tell you something. You may not feel what I'm saying, but let me just tell you, feelings are not facts. Facts are facts. The fact is, Jesus redeemed you.
Pastor, when did that happen? The moment that you were born again. The moment that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm not talking about the moment you prayed a prayer. I'm not talking about the moment you got wet in a baptism pool. I'm talking about the moment Jesus became Lord of your life. He gave you new spiritual bloodlines. He washed you clean. And for some of you in this place, you've never had that moment where you surrender the old you and you become what the Bible calls born again. Born again. And that word is exactly how it sounds. He takes the old you, the things you've come from, the things, listen, that you've done, that you've done, and he puts that man to death and he brings you to new life in him, born again as a completely new creation. Sins washed away, sins forgiven, a child of God. That's what being born again is. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again, how do I do that? It's a very simple process. It's really as simple as ABC. And it's simple because Jesus did all of the complicated part when he died on the cross for your sins. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life, sin in your heart that separates you from a holy, righteous, just God. Jesus faced everything we face yet was without sin. B, you believe. Believe what? That what he did on that cross was for you. It was for you. For you to be born again. It's not a story in a storybook. It really happened and it really happened for you. And see, you confess. Confess what? That he is now Lord of your life. You surrender to him. You recognize who he is and you recognize that he can lead your life better than you can lead your life so you give him control of it. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I want that. If you're saying God loves me enough to wash me clean, to make me a new creation, I will follow him. So with no one looking around, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you in a count of three to simply lift up your hand because I want to acknowledge who I'm going to pray this prayer with. I want to acknowledge who's, who's making that this conscious deci decision to yield to God's calling. And then all of us are going to pray this prayer out loud, but I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. One, two, three. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand. If you say, that's me, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands back there. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand back there. Thank you, ma'am. Precious. Praise God. Anyone else? Lift it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. This is your moment. Thank you, sir. So proud of you. I see your hand. I see your hand back there, young man. Praise God. Praise God. You can put him down. If you didn't raise your hand and you say, Pastor, I didn't. I was embarrassed. I was I was scared. I didn't want to lift up my hand. You have nothing to be embarrassed about. This is the best decision you have ever made in your life, and this will be the proudest moment of your life. If you say, that's me, I didn't lift my hand the first time, but include me in that prayer. One, two, three. Lift up your hand. You say, that's me. I didn't raise it the first time. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand back there. Nothing to be ashamed of. This is your moment. 
Praise God. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with every single one of these precious saints of God that are surrendering to Jesus this morning. Say these words with me from your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame, for my family history, for my sinful bloodline. And you died on that cross and faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin and I repent of it and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, I'm yours. God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. And I'm a new creation in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person.